This new year off with worshiping our Lord and Savior, uh, Jesus Christ. And we're going to talk a lot here this morning about uh, resurrection and, and life and, and hope. Um, so stay tuned. Well, good morning, church. Happy 2024. It was a, a, a new year. Uh, feels kind of like, like we're well into it, January 7th already. But uh, happy new year nonetheless. And uh, for those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Chris. I am the soul care pastor and an elder here uh, at the church, and uh, it is a, a joy and a, a delight to be able to open up God's word with you uh, this morning. Now, if you are uh, new or uh, visiting with us, or perhaps by way of reminder, last August we began our journey through the Gospel of John. It's a series that we're calling a Life. And one of the reasons that uh, uh, we're calling it that is because John tells us the purpose of the gospel of John in uh, chapter 20, uh, verses 30 to 31. And this is what it says. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so this gospel was, was written so that we may believe and have eternal life, not one day, but today, right now. It'll be consummated when he comes, when Christ returns, but right now we can have eternal life by faith in Jesus Christ. And by the way, I'll just note that this gospel was written for both believers and non-believers. For those of you in this room who, who do not yet uh, believe, this gospel was written so that you would see the glory of God revealed in the Son of God and believe and receive eternal life. And I so pray that you would leave here this morning a follower of Christ. But this gospel was also uh, written for those of us who already believe in Christ so that we may see the glory of God in the Son of God and be strengthened in our faith. And at the beginning of this series, we, uh, we challenged ourselves as a, as a faith family to do three things. Do you remember what those three things are? A pop quiz. I'll help you out. Uh, Happy New Year. Uh, first, we said, be present, be present. Be intentional about, about coming on a, on a Sunday and, and uh, bringing your families and your friends and, and sitting in and, and having ears to hear and hearts to receive the word of God. So be present. Second thing was this, to dig in. There's absolutely no way that on a Sunday morning that we could cover all of the theological rich truths that are in this gospel. In fact, today alone, we're in John chapter 11. We have 57 verses to cover. There's no way. I had to leave so much on the editing room floor. And so dig in. Roll your sleeves up. Dive deep into the truths of this and see the glory of God. That was our, our second challenge. And number three was pray. Pray. Uh, pray that the Lord would do a work in this series in your own life. Pray that the Lord would do a work in those sitting around you. It's okay. You can look around and see who's sitting and let them know you're praying for them. Uh, and, and then also uh, pray that God would bring someone across your path and into your life that you could begin a relationship with and begin to share the good news of Jesus Christ with them. So pray. Those three things, be present, dig in, and pray. And so as we, we pick back up here in John here in the new year, let's uh, purpose those same three things, okay? All right, well, uh, in December, we finished up with John chapter 10. 
Uh, and then we took a few weeks to pause for our Christmas series. And today, as I mentioned, we're going to be in John chapter 11. John chapter 11. And you can go ahead and turn there if you'd like, if you brought a copy of God's Word with you. If not, there is a copy in the seat back there in front of you. Now, uh, the Gospel of John is about to pivot. It's about to pivot and begin making a turn toward the cross and resurrection of Christ, as we'll see. We are at a crucial moment in the ministry of Jesus. And I just got to tell you, as uh, by God's providence, as, as he would have it, I just think this is the perfect passage for us uh, to begin this new year uh, by exploring together, uh, especially considering uh, what many of you uh, went through in 2023 and then what many of you are, are still going through currently. So let's pray and let's ask God for his encouragement, his conviction, and his hope here this morning as we get going. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray just that. God, would you bring uh, your, your hope to us through this text this morning? Would you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to receive? Would we behold your glory and savor it here in this text this morning? And Lord, for me, would you let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable and pleasing in your sight? Amen. So as I look around the room here uh, this morning, I, I see a lot of variation uh, among us, uh, a lot of uh, cultural differences, some ethnic dif differences. I, I see a lot of different backgrounds. Uh, we have a lot of things not in common among us as I, I look around. And in fact, I'll just say that's one of the reasons why we need to be together so that we can sharpen each other, right, with our lack of commonality. Uh, but uh, there is one thing that we all have in common. And this is a commonality across uh, every single person who lives and breathes in this world. And it's this, the reality of death. Every one of us has been or will be impacted by death. And this was a, a very real reminder for me and my family this week. And I know that some of you are being impacted by it right now. It's hard. It's heavy. It's painful. It's a reminder that it exists because of sin and brokenness. And, and if it's so common, why is it so hard to accept? Why do we try to cheat it, avoid it, or deny it. Well, it's because the, the death is not natural. Death is, is a common reality for us as humans, but, but death is, is unnatural. Why, why do you say that, Chris? Well, it's because God created us for eternity. This was not how it was meant to be. God has written eternity on our hearts, Scripture says. But death exists because sin exists. And so death remains a terrible, horrible, heinous, hateful enemy that's difficult for us to accept. I bring this up not because I want to be known as the pastor of death or Pastor Grim Reaper, okay? But because we need to start with the bad news. We need to, to sit for a moment in the bad news. 
Because if, if, if we don't, then we won't really see how good the good news is. We'll gloss over the bad news just to skip to the good news. And guess what? That just cheapens the good news. And so for a moment, we need to sit in it. And John chapter 11 here takes us right into the heart, the epicenter of the bad news. But, but, it finishes with the glory of the good news. So hang with me. This Lazarus Death and resurrection story, in fact, reveals five glorious truths for us to hope in this year and to cling to today and beyond, okay? John chapter 11, uh, verse 1. The word of the Lord says this. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to Jesus, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Uh, Jesus is uh, likely east of the Jordan River at this time. Uh, Bethany is a, is a tiny village. It's just a couple of miles east of Jerusalem. Uh, and it's where Lazarus, Martha, and Mary live. And, and John wants us to know which Mary he's talking about here, which Mary he's referring to. There's a lot of Marys uh, in the Gospels, if you read them. And so uh, John tells us here that this is the Mary who anointed Jesus' feet with, with ointment and, and wiped them with her hair. But we haven't seen that yet. That hasn't happened yet. That's in John chapter 12. We'll get there, uh, God willing, next week. But make no mistake, this family was very close to Jesus. They were important to him, and he was important to them. Lazarus here, for example, is described as the one whom Jesus loves. It's also likely that uh, they were a wealthy, prominent uh, Jewish family in that area. Now look here at how Jesus responds in verse four. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Jesus says here that, that Lazarus's illness, it, it does not lead to death. Instead, the glory of God will be displayed through the work of the Son of God. The point here of this, this of whatever happens next, this entire story is this. The point is to reveal the glory of God through the Son of God. You might, if you write in your Bible, you might put a, a little box around verse 4 because everything else that happens after this is for the glory of God to be revealed through the Son of God, okay? And the glory of God is any work of God that displays some aspect of who he is and magnifies his greatness. So if I could say it this way, uh, I encourage you to put on your glory glasses this morning uh, as we move through uh, this story and, and filter every single thing that, come, that happens through those lenses. Because I got to tell you, the, the glory of God just oozes here by the work that the Son of God uh, does. Okay? So glory glasses on. Here we go. Verse 5. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill... He immediately left and made haste to Bethany to be with Lazarus. Is that what yours says? No, that's not what mine says either. What, what does it say? It says, so when Jesus heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. <laughs> uh, I mentioned here in verse 5 that love in the Greek text is fronted. It's the very first a word in that sentence in verse 5. And the reason for that is it's emphasizing the, uh, the love that Jesus had for this family. 
okay? He wants us to understand that this was an extremely uh, uh, important family to him. He loved them and cared for them deal, uh, deeply. But instead of going there immediately, Jesus stays two more days where they were. Doesn't that just defy human logic, by the way? And at this point, we, we don't really know why Jesus responds this way. Um, but we can know for this, uh, we can know for certain uh, this, that it is not because he doesn't love them and care for them. He does, deeply. And the Lord may not be taking the kind of action that we expect uh, him to take to help us in our situation. And we may not know why, but we can know this for certain, that it is not because he doesn't love us and care for us deeply. He's just got a bigger plan that we're not privy to at that time. Look here in verse uh, seven with, with me, if you would, please. Then after this, Jesus said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you and are you going there again? And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. So Jesus finally says, it's time, time to go. Uh, but the disciples push back on him and they're like, hey, wait a second, you wanna go back to Judea? The, the Jewish leaders, if you recall back in chapter 10, John 10, they picked up stones to stone Jesus. And they're like, you wanna go back to that, Jesus? What, really? And then Jesus uh, responds with this metaphor of, of sun and light. And he says, hey, listen, the sun is shining now. We can see the way. It's lighting up the path. Um, now's the time. Now's the time to move. The sun will not always be here. The light will, will one day be gone. The light of this world, which I think Jesus is, uh, uh, has a double meaning there. There's the, the physical sun providing the physical light, but he's also referred to himself and called the light of the world. And he's saying, listen, the light of the world is not always gonna be here. So the time to act is now in the daylight because when the light of the world is gone, it'll be dark and you stumble in the dark. So it's a risk worth taking is what Jesus is saying, because time is precious, it's short. Look here what uh, Jesus adds to that here in verse 11. And after saying these things, Jesus said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin said to his fellow disciples, let us go also that we may die with him. <laughs> you just hear that? <laughs> I love that. All right, here we go. Jesus says that, that Lazarus here has fallen asleep. And of course the disciples misunderstand. So Jesus responds plainly that Lazarus has died and that he's glad that he was not there so that they would believe. It's astounding as Jesus here is alluding to doing something that's going to cultivate even greater faith in them. Glory glasses on. I also note that Jesus is changing their and our perspective on death. You see, to us, death, it just seems final. 
I mean, the heart stops beating, the, uh, the, the person is, is, uh, stops breathing, takes their last breath, they're placed in the grave. To us, death is like an enemy to be feared, but not to Jesus, but not to Jesus, because to Jesus, death is not final. It's not an enemy to be feared. Why? Well, it's because there will be a resurrection, friends. But Jesus has already previously spoken about this in John chapter five. We've seen that. In, in that chapter, he says, an hour is coming when the dead will be raised, get this, either to a resurrection of life or to a resurrection of judgment. All will be raised, Jesus says. Some to eternal life because of their belief in the Son of God and some to eternal judgment because of their rejection of the Son of God. And see, the first glorious truth that we can see here in this passage is that death is not our final destination. All will be resurrected, some to eternal life and some to eternal death. And see, because of this, we can, we can liken death to, to falling asleep. There will be a resurrection. There will be a, an awakening. And, and those in Christ will be raised to eternal life. Those not in Christ will be judged and thrown into the lake of fire. And that is called the second death in Revelation chapter 20. By the way, the, the, the kind of falling asleep here that, that, that uh, we're talking about is not like uh, the Sleeping Beauty fairy tale where uh, Aurora uh, lies in a comatose state awaiting Prince Philip's kiss. By the way, I know my princess fairy tales. Girl dad. It's not that though. Those asleep in Christ are in his presence right now, this very moment. They are in Christ. They're better off than we are. <laughs> now, look here in verse 17 as the story just progresses here. Uh, as Jesus arrives uh, at Bethany. Now, uh, verse 17. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Did you get that? Uh, very prominent people, uh, because a lot of the Jews from Jerusalem came, made the travel, the two-mile travel over there to be with them. So this is a big kind of funeral morning service kind of a thing. So when Martha, verse 20, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died but even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he or she die, yet shall he or she live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God. So Jesus approaches Bethany here, we're told. Martha goes to him and, and pleads with him. And what's so remarkable here is that Martha's cry is a cry of faith. And she, uh, Jesus promises that Lazarus will rise again. Martha's like, yeah, 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 I know, Lord. Yeah, in the last day. But Jesus uh, wants her to see something that's even better than that. And so he tells her, 
that he is the resurrection and the life. And everyone who believes in him will never, ever die. They have life in him now, at that very moment of belief. The second glorious truth that we see here then is that Jesus has power over death. That Jesus has power over death. Death is defeated through the resurrection. You see that Jesus is saying the messianic age has, has arrived. It has, it has come. Uh, Jesus is like, I am the resurrection. I am the life. And that life begins now upon belief in me. It's not in my second coming, Jesus says or alludes to. So anyone who believes in him does not ultimately die, even if their physical bodies do. Death is not final because Jesus has the power over death. Death does not have the last word, friends. Jesus does. And what's so sweet and what I love about this whole interchange uh, between Martha and Jesus is that Martha responds that she believes in Jesus. She believes what he's saying. What amazing faith, especially in such a difficult, emotional, painful time over the loss of her brother. Martha often, uh, she gets a bad rap from us. Uh, Sometimes she can come across, these are my words, as a female version of Peter. (laughs) Always quick with her words and her actions. But here, her faith in the Son of God is on full display. Way to go, Martha. Let's continue here in, in, in verse 28 and see what happens next. Now, when Martha had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, Mary rose quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. Verse 31, when the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, She fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. So it's Mary's turn now to turn to Jesus and and plead with him. And uh, I love this humble posture of her falling at his feet. Uh, She has just such a, a humble, yielding faith in Jesus. It's precious. Notice also that Martha and Mary both express faith in Jesus, but that faith is expressed differently. Interesting. By the way, to whom and or where did Martha and Mary literally run in their pain and grief? Who? It was Jesus. Not the grave, not their friends, to Jesus himself. And that should stand out as an example for us to follow. To whom or to where do we turn when our lives are in shambles? And this is one of the sweetest things here in this entire text, what happens next. Here, look at the, in verse uh, 33. When Jesus saw her weeping, And the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. 
But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man uh, from dying? In the uh, Jewish culture of that day, grieving over the loss of a, of a family member um, was loud and expressive. There was lots of, of wailing and loud crying. And so the scene here with so many people there uh, mourning this loss would have been noisy and the atmosphere would have just been dripping with sorrow. And so Jesus sees Mary's grief and weeping and the weeping of those with her and he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled and it says he wept. Why? Why did he respond this way? We're not told. We're not told. We have to use the context to help us discern why Jesus responded this way. And I just have to say, based on the context, it doesn't make much sense that Jesus responded this way um, out of just simple sorrow for the loss of his friend because he's already indicated that he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead anyway. So that doesn't really flow logically. But based on this context, what makes more sense and what's more likely is that Jesus looked at their pain and the hopelessness of these grieving people and he's deeply moved by their sorrow and despair and so he responds with compassion. And dare I say, a hint perhaps of anger or indignation. This word uh, greatly troubled could also mean indignation, but he's not angry at them, not angry at them, anger over this destructive chaos that our enemy death has brought on his people. And so he simultaneously expresses compassion for those grieving and those in pain over the effects of this brokenness. See, Jesus cares deeply for our pain in death. He loves us and his love for the grieving moves Jesus to compassionate action. This past week, some friends of ours who um, don't attend here but who are close with many of you tragically lost their 20 year old son in a car accident on New Year's Eve night. It was one of those late night text messages that you hope to never receive. And the young man's mom texted me and let me know what had happened. Jen and I threw our shoes on and ran to the hospital as quickly as we could because the accident also um, impacted a, a family in our church who are members here. Terrible situation. And I remember looking uh, at the funeral, it was a couple days ago, I remember looking around uh, the room and seeing our friends weeping, feeling the sorrow in their hugs. Jen remarked to me later, she could feel the younger brothers just trembling as they hugged. And I remember observing the dozens of students and parents and friends, quiet tears of pain and sorrow, including my own. And I just felt a deep compassion for all those hurting people. 
And yes, a little bit of anger over the fact that even in Christ, right now, right in this very moment, death still hurts like a thousand bee stings. I'm just a pastor. I'm just an under-shepherd. I'm a nobody uh, in the grand scheme of God's redemptive plan. I know my place. Magnify that compassion and indignation that I had by infinity. And we'll begin to understand a bit of what the great shepherd, the second person of the Trinity, the agent of creation, felt for those grieving, sorrowful, hopeless people. And so Jesus quietly weeps for them. Jesus is the most compassionate person to ever live. And that compassion, by the way, extends to us. He sympathizes in our weakness, friends. And we can run to him like Martha and Mary, just like them. Fall at his feet and find grace in time of need. And Jesus' compassion here moves to action. Look here in verse uh, 38 with me. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It, it was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Set him free. And Jesus is deeply moved again by what he sees. And he has the, the stone removed from the entrance of the tomb. And of course, uh, Martha, always Johnny on the spot, it's like, hey, there's going to be an odor, Lord. And Jesus reminds her that if she just believes, she will see the glory of God. Glory, glasses on. And Jesus prays to the Father on their behalf. And uh, the reason that Jesus is even doing all of this is so that uh, the glory of God may be, be revealed through the Son of God, get this, so that they would believe. And so he calls out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus just simply, matter-of-factly, just walks out alive and whole again. The fourth uh, glorious truth that we see here is that the glory of God revealed cultivates greater faith. A, a growing faith is evidenced by a growing hope in Jesus. Uh, look here in verse 45 with me. It says, uh, many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. It says that when uh, the, many of the Jews saw what Jesus had just done, that they believed on him. Can you imagine what they must have looked like? Like what, their, what was their, uh, the expressions on their faces? Can you imagine that? 
jaws drop. <laughs> Mary Poppins, like, close your mouth, please. We're not a codfish, right? Like, amazing. Now, now imagine now, and those are the unbelievers. Uh, now, imagine those in Christ, disciples, Martha and Mary. Can you, can you just fathom what they must have felt like in that moment? Can you, they were probably punching each other. Like, could you see this? That's Jesus, right? Um, and maybe even Peter, like, I told you that was going to happen, right? I mean, you can just totally, some sanctified imagination sometimes is okay. But can you imagine, though, more seriously, the kind of deeper faith that that might have cultivated within them? Lazarus' resurrection is the first sign that shows Jesus is the resurrection in life. Tell me, is that enough of a sign for you to believe? The second greater sign is coming, and that is Jesus' actual resurrection. But why not believe today? Because the text also says that some did not believe, as evidenced by the fact that they ran like little chickens to the, to the Pharisees and told on what Jesus had done. And their response was out of their ongoing unbelief in Christ. So sad. And the rest of this text, from this now to the end of this chapter, is all about the response in unbelief. Look here with me in uh, verse 47 here. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council. The council would be the the ruling party um, of Jewish leaders, uh, the Sanhedrin, and said, what are we to do for this man performs many signs? If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Sound like whiny babies there, don't they? But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who were scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness, to a town called Ephraim. And there he stayed with the disciples. The high priest Caiaphas here, he tells the Sanhedrin council that it would be better for one man to die to save Israel than for them all to die. And because he said this because he had prophesied previously that Jesus would die for the nation that year. Can you imagine the irony of that, friends? Here's an, uh, not a follower of Christ, and he's prophesying about Jesus' death. And so the plot to kill Jesus begins. Let's finish out here uh, the text this morning. Now, the Passover of the Jews was at hand, verse 55. And many went up from uh, the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, what do you think, that he will not come to the feast at all? Now, the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might Arrest Jesus. Passover is drawing near. Thousands and thousands of Jews are coming in to celebrate the Passover. The Jewish leaders were ready to arrest and kill Jesus. And the Gospel of John right here makes a turn toward the cross of Christ. But there is one more glorious truth in this passage. And that's this. 
This resurrection anticipates Jesus' resurrection. Because ultimate salvation comes when Christ is raised, not Lazarus. You see, Lazarus' resurrection story here is a picture of the gospel. Uh, Dead and buried in sin. No hope, no life, but God, by faith in Jesus Christ, raises us by giving us spiritual life, by calling us out of the spiritual grave, thereby making us spiritually alive in Christ Jesus. Is that not what we just looked at, depicted in John chapter 11? This story is like a pre-Easter story. It anticipates that Jesus' greater resurrection that comes after he goes to the cross. But there is a difference. There, there's several differences. But one of those differences is this. He says, here, Jesus merely demonstrates his power over death. When Jesus dies on the cross and rises on the third day, he doesn't merely demonstrate his power over death. He defeats death. And his victorious resurrection is proof of that, friends. Listen, loved ones. Sin has caused two deaths, spiritual and physical. But God, in his infinite wisdom, knows that right now, our greater need is first a spiritual resurrection so that we might live rightly in relationship with him. And he has promised that we will be physically raised when Christ returns. So we cling to that as well. But we can have life. We have been spiritually raised in Christ today if we're a follower of him. So in a sense, we get two resurrections. (laughs) The one that we're enjoying now, if you're in Christ, you've been resurrected. His resurrection is your resurrection. You cling to that, friends. And then later, the second one will be the physical resurrection when he returns. But that means, that means that for now, the pain and the sorrow of physical death remains among us. And that's what we experience and feel and grieve to this day. Our hope in that pain is Jesus. Our resurrection and life. He raised Lazarus to display the glory of God through his power over death, which uh, foreshadows his coming, his own coming death and resurrection that will provide eternal life to all a call upon his name. Won't you do that today? Are you doing that today? Will you continue doing that today? The glory of God revealed in the Son of God so that we might believe. In him... We hope, and to him we cling, in Christ alone. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you for revealing your glory in this story. This is not just a story. You breathed this onto these pages that we have before us. You have revealed your glory to us in so many different ways. And here you've uh, revealed your special glory here through this story in the resurrection of Lazarus. 
and even more specifically, we see the glory of God revealed through the Son of God here. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the hope that we have in you. Thank you for the hope of the resurrection that we cling to. Thank you for being the, the most loving and caring person in the entire world. In the history of humanity, there has been none more so than you. And we need that now. We need to be reminded of that, that love and that care now in the, the midst of the pain and the brokenness and the suffering that we endure, Lord. Would you help us to cling to that and persevere Wrap your arms around those who are impacted by physical death right now, Father. Comfort them with your words, not my words, your words. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Thank you, glorious Savior, we pray in Christ's name.